Welcome to the Theotech Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lim. In today's episode, my friend John Johnson shares about finding your identity and calling in Christ amidst the racial tensions we're all experiencing. John is the principal of a branding and design agency called A Small Studio. And as a black business owner, the national pain flowing from the death of George Floyd hit especially close to home. He decided to pause agency work and dedicate his business to bringing peace to people's lives by launching giveadose.co. Let's listen to how God is leading John to use his entrepreneurial gifts for the kingdom. John, thank you for joining us on the show. It's great to be here, man. I've been looking forward to it all week. Yeah, I have been so excited to follow your newsletter updates, just to hear about how you always talk about identity, identity, identity in your work, and to hear about your own journey of what God is doing in this time in your life to help you live into your identity. Um, I would love for you to be able to share some of that, to share with our audience how you're combining entrepreneurship with your faith and also being biracial and, and those things. Yeah, no, it's a, that's a heavy question, man. Uh, identity and faith and, and work and, and life in general, you know, it's a, it's a journey. I just feel, I feel so grateful to actually be able to articulate that journey now. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a beautiful point of, I want to say freedom, when you can actually start to articulate what God has done to get you to a certain point. And when it starts to all come together and merge together, I think that's what you're, what you're talking about. And I'm, uh, I think that that's what sparked, you know, that email that I sent out because I started a small studio and moved to Seattle um, in October of 2017. So just under three years ago. And I found Christ literally a week before I got here mm. to Seattle. And a week after I got here, I started a small studio, filed the LLC. Wow. And my whole experience of the last three years has been not only understanding myself, but also understanding what it means to, to be you know, a follower of Christ, but finding my identity in something so much bigger than I could have ever imagined. And that's, I mean, first and foremost for me. And as soon as I found that, that moment of, of clarity, everything unveiled itself from there. You know, I had this moment before... So two weeks before I got here to Seattle, I was at a at a camp called Man Camp, which was through a church that I went to um, in Phoenix. And there was a pastor that was talking about, you know, people growing up without their father and not having a father figure in his life and how he was so angry and he had to just learn and understand what it meant to be a man on his own. And he ended up just talking to the whole room and there was a room filled with, I want to say a hundred, probably about a hundred, 200 guys in the room. And he asked, how many, how many of you have never had a father figure in your life? Mm. And about 80% of the room raised their hand. Wow. And I was one of them. I never knew my father. Um, don't even know his name. And I just realized that time I, I wasn't alone. Like this wasn't, you know, mm. something to be shameful or something unique or, you know, whatever it was. It was like this was a, this was a, a deep issue, especially in the black community, because most of the people in that room were, were black men. But right after that, he calls us up to, well, he doesn't call us up to the front. I go up to the front because they're playing some music. And the, the worship leader starts talking about that moment, you know, in Lion King where they're in the elephant graveyard with the hyenas and, you know, he's trapped and Simba, you know, gets his roar and he's like, Meow, like a little kitten. Mm-hmm. And then he, you know, they're laughing at him and then he does it again, builds up all his might. And then, you know, Mufasa's there. It's like, you know, the lion. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about that. And that was the first time that I realized that 
I can only do so much in my life. Like I'm Simba. I'm not that big. I'm not that strong. I only do so much. I can only go so far. But but with God, you know, I can have that roar that Mufasa brought to Simba. And that was the moment that I I I surrendered my life. That was a moment that I realized that I did have a father and my father was in heaven. And and that was the moment that my whole life changed. And, and from that point on, that's when I started really going on my journey of identity and calling and this purpose driven work. And and I would say, I'll stop there because that, that was, that was the big shift in my life that led to a small studio that led to identity architecture that led to me doing all the work that I'm doing now. Um, without that moment, I don't think I would have been able to live so purposefully and guided by Christ. Yeah. That's just a powerful realization that God is that roar <laughs> that is actually powerful. Uh, did you have the dream of a small studio even before you went to that man camp or was it something that actually emerged out of the man camp? It was, it was being talked about before. I had a friend who, who did work in the technology space and told me about the possibilities of starting an agency and actually being able to do some great work for great people. But before um, I went to man camp, it was, I knew that I was passionate about helping others pursue their, their dreams, helping others translate their, their calling or their business at that point um, into an actual business, right? Like that grassroots approach. And I also knew I was really good at branding. And those are the only two things I knew I was really good at. After a couple of failed startups and all of that, I, I just I realized that that was what I was good at, starting something and bringing something to life and telling a story. Mm-hmm. I also knew that social entrepreneurs really struggled with telling their mm-hmm. stories. Sometimes when you care about something so much and it's so close to your heart, you, you, you miss things. And I, I realized that I was really good at seeing the things that they would miss to help to translate their story into an authentic expression of who they are in the marketplace, which is what I call branding. And that's really why I started a small studio was to be able to help social enterprises create brands that they could stand behind that empowered them and motivated them in the marketplace rather than discourage them and, you know, were more of a hindrance than an asset. That is so powerful for me. And in some ways, you know, my company, Theotech, we are like a social enterprise in some ways with God as the customer. And I know for the longest time that although I believed in those words, that the identity, I was actually kind of feeling ashamed of it a little bit because like, could this ever really work? You know, will the market just laugh at us and people kind of feel feel sorry for us. Like, yeah, you know, they're very noble and idealistic, but they're just not going to make it as a business. And there's all these other negative self-identity things Mm -hmm. that are so limiting, even in living out authentically, like you said, our Mm -hmm. vision and mission and believing in it and drawing strength from, from that calling. So hearing what you're saying, it makes me feel like, oh, I'm so glad that I have you as my brother because like we need that gift uh, to be able to do that authentic translation that you're talking about. Yeah. And most, and most of what you're saying, Chris is, those are all false perceptions that we have that have been put on us by society um, mm-hmm. or by this world. Because the fact is, is that we have one specific calling and we have one compass and that compass is right here, right inside of us. That compass is in, inside of us in Christ. So as, as, a, as somebody that knows Christ, that's your only compass. And it's so hard for us to block out all of the false perceptions or identities or idols that come attacking us all the time to stay on that path. Yep. And that's what I feel God has called me to do 
is to help individuals stay focused on the things that they truly are being called to because you can see it in people. You can see where they, where that fire, I call it the fire inside of you. You can see when those flames start to boil up and it's up to us as, as the body to stroke those flames, right? And to fan yeah. those flames. Otherwise, you know, the world's just going to put them out. That's it. The world's going to put them out and say, hey, no, you go fit in this box because that's where you should be. No, we're not supposed to be in a box. We're each created uniquely, right, by the creator, specifically to do something unique in this world. And the only person that could tell us that, right, is our, in, our inner compass, the, the Christ that lives inside of each and every one of us. Yeah. It's sometimes so easy to not really believe that as the body of Christ, that God really has prepared good works in advance for every member, every individual to do that they're uniquely created and called to. It's so easy to fall into exactly what you said, the cookie cutter role um, of just like, okay, this is the standard path that's already been laid out and just kind of go through the motions and do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I also feel that like I have friends who are, are Christians and sometimes they just, they're, they're, I think disillusioned by the talk about following your passion or following your heart. They kind of feel like they don't know what their passion is or they don't know what their calling is. And they're kind of just frustrated in, in their own work or vocation. And, you know, it's so, it's just so difficult. And to the point where it feels like, you know what, maybe it's not really about that inner compass and motivation and drive. Maybe it is just something that we can never figure out. What do you say when you meet people who feel frustrated with that sense of like, there's no calling or purpose identity thing. Like ah, I'm a Christian and I'll just do my thing. Oh man. Thank you for asking me that question because I'm, you know, quote unquote, a new believer still. I've experienced a lot of perceptions that are within the church that have really, I've had a visceral reaction to actually like very, really bothered me. Mm -hmm. um, I feel a lot of complacency. And this is one, remember, everything I'm saying is coming from a new perspective, right? And, and, I, and I also feel like God has told me that I need to speak boldly from this new perspective because a lot of people won't speak when they're new to something just because they feel like they're not supposed to, which I don't believe. It's like when you're supposed to speak the most is when you're new so that you can learn and understand. And she's like, hey, I see it this way. How do you see it? So I can understand. Um, I feel a lot of complacency, a lot of you know, lukewarm I, I, I forget the verse, but when I heard that verse, uh, you could either be hot or cold. Um, but if you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Like, yeah. That's what I hear when I hear somebody say that. Mm. I hear lukewarm. And I'll, I'll, I'll relate it back to um, Julia Cameron wrote a book called The Artist's Way that I'm going through right now. And it's about the, the spiritual connection of creativity. And she breaks this down really well. She actually says that Sometimes we sacrifice our own creativity to help others. And I think that that's where people are coming from when they say those words, especially in the body. Like, oh, it's not about your own passion. Like, focus on serving others. But I, I think that that's completely nonsense because every follower of Christ, every disciple, every, every person in the Bible that had a calling from Christ had a calling from Christ first. That's first and foremost. So if you are not constantly searching for your calling in Christ, and then, what are you, then you're not searching for your calling in Christ, which means that you're, you're leaning more towards into the world than you are into trying to find like, what Christ is calling you to do. That's, we should be constantly seeking that. Right. And that's this is once again, just from my understanding thus far. So I, I don't say that there is a purpose for you shouldn't be looking for your purpose or 
the purpose, right? And this monolithic thing that only some will find. I say, you got to live life on purpose mm-hmm. right now, right now. And I say that because what I found is that presence is one of the ultimate ways of connecting. I believe that in that present, when you are able to be present and not distracted by the future or the past or any other distractions around you, when you're able to be present, that's, that's where I, I find God really connecting to me. And also that's when I find myself really connecting to others. And that's where I feel like the Holy Spirit moves in those moments of presence. So I say that because I truly believe that every second of every day, we should be living life on purpose. And if we don't know what God has told us to do, then we need to be, you know, loving others and, you know, abiding by the, the most simplistic of statements that, that we were called to do in the Bible at the same time we should be doing our best to stay as present with the Holy Spirit and present with God at all times. That mm-hmm. should be one of our specific callings. Long story short, I, I completely disagree with anybody that would say that because even Jesus had a calling on his life and mm-hmm. he spent his whole life solely focused on that calling, even, even to the point where if somebody did interrupt him on that way, he had time to be with them. Not saying that you need to disregard other people when you're living on on purpose, right? Part of living on purpose is loving others, right? So there's not an either or, I feel like in this walk, it's it's a both and. Yeah. And Jesus' purpose was so, like he knew the scope so well that he could even say like, I have only been sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Didn't mean that he was constantly stretching that window to include the people who were Samaritans to go through those places that were excluded by the Jews, but he knew his scope and it was his disciples and the apostles who would actually go take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that, that clarity of purpose is amazing to know so well what God had called him to do. But I think that you did bring up a helpful distinction, which is that it's not some massive, big existential capital P purpose. That is the one purpose of your life, but it is more of that being present to and in relationship with the Holy spirit and kind of continually seek that's that's a continual calling it's like i've even realized this for myself is even though i do believe god called us uh called me to theotech and to say what if god is the customer it doesn't mean that the current way i'm even living into that purpose is is like what god's calling me to do right then and there's been times where it's like oh i have to adjust i gotta i gotta change like god as my lord is commanding me still is still like the one who's in authority but what I'm doing right now, even though it made sense for a season, may have to change in order to be obedient. And that's a very helpful distinction, I think, because sometimes people might be frustrated with that sense that they had to find their capital P purpose. But really, it's about this continual relationship with God that we discern the will of God and we continue in it. And we don't know where it's going to take us, but we can be faithful yeah. in that. Given, given what we just mentioned, you know, you sense God's calling on your life to start a, mo- a small studio to help social entrepreneurs with brand identity. And, and then we have, obviously, COVID-19, and then we have the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd, and what's happening after that. Can you share with us some of that story of what God was working in your heart in the midst of all this and how it led you to kind of change what you're doing in your business? Yeah, well, branding for social entrepreneurs was me thinking that I knew what, what my calling was or what a small studio was about, um, since then, he's, he's very clearly articulated it for me where a small studio is a collection of creatives who use their gift of creativity, of design to bring peace to people's lives, mm. specifically. 
that's what a small studio is, is a safe haven for, for creatives to come, to find their identity, to embrace their identity and to, you know, in, infuse their identity with their work in order to bring peace to people's lives. And, and I say that because that, that was something that came to me over the last three years as I've been doing the work. And that's why I think it's so important to embrace the journey because yeah, you may hear something one time, but it, you may, it, it will evolve. And mm-hmm. it's just a matter of you continuing to seek. You don't get to the answer and then nope, that's it. I don't hear anything else and put yeah, the yeah. headphones on, you know, um, <laughs> no, I'm done now. I'm just going to do done. that. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I think there's a lot of people that do that and it's very, that's very um, harmful. I think also also because we're always constantly shifting and moving as as a unit, as a body. It's like having a, a bum knee that you can't move anymore. It's like, mm-hmm. no, hey, we got to move together fluidly. Um, I digress. That specific calling or that f- specific purpose on a small studio helped me into that moment that that I sent that email out, which prompted this conversation where I was going about business as usual mm-hmm. during a time where the I could tell the nation was in so much pain where I was in so much pain with all of the racial tension and the riots and, and the protests and the deaths and, you know, being a biracial man, I just, and also, also someone that, that identifies as being black in America, I, I literally was on the floor curled up in a ball after a client meeting talking about logistical things of, Oh, when am I going to get this copy done for a client? And I'm like, who cares? I can't, I can't even think. And it was causing me to start to get um, upset. It was causing me to not be myself. And I could tell like it was just, there was something boiling up. And I, after the meeting, I just laid on my floor in my office, which is my bedroom. And, and I called my mom and just talked to her, you know, had asked her to sing for me. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and then, and I'm like, you know, I'm just going to go for a run. And I went for a run and I, highly recommend working out at any point when somebody gets to that point and that I went for a run and and I sprinted down down the the park and and I had this realization that I was I wasn't living authentically I was living out of integrity um, with the calling and the purpose of our work and I was like what can I do I didn't know what to do I didn't I didn't know should I go protest should I go do I call somebody I, I didn't know nothing felt right yeah. Right. Yeah. And you know, sometimes when you don't know what's right, you sometimes just have to wait and be still. Sometimes you have to go and do. I don't know. Right. Everybody has their own way of, of processing that. I went for a run and, and I realized that the resources that I did have was a small studio. And I was like, oh, use our gifts to bring peace to people's lives. There's what's a better time that people need peace. And I'm like, you know what? I'm stopping everything. I'm not going to do business as usual. I'm just not. Enough is enough. This is ridiculous. It's messing me up. My team's not working well. My clients aren't going to get the right work. You know, all of these things, like I just can't. And so I instantly called my my partner, Troy, and I said, you know, what do you think about this? I feel like we need to stop. He's mm-hmm. like, you got my vote, man. I, you, uh-huh. Did you talk to the clients? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm calling them next. So I instantly called our clients and you know, said, told them, hey, I just, I'm, I'm struggling right now. And honestly, I need to focus my energy and we need to focus our energy on moving this needle forward on mm-hmm. what's happening in the world and what's happening in our nation specifically. And I said, uh, being a black man right now, I, I, I need to figure out how to help. Mm-hmm. And I was very honest with them. And they were like, 
yeah, I get it. I get it. How can I help? Right. Or they ask more questions to understand. And, and I didn't know what we were going to do. I had no idea. I had no idea what was going to happen. I just knew that I had to do it. I knew I had to just be un. I couldn't, I couldn't shift. I couldn't shift. I just had to do it. So long story short, 930 that night, I got a bunch of people on the call, including our team that night. And that was, that was last Wednesday, actually. And we just started talking about what was going on. And I told him everything I just told you. And I was like, here's, here's an idea. Mm. And the idea was, was dose everybody just started talking about how that felt to them and why they felt it was needed. And it was just that moment of like, yeah, okay, this is it. We're going to do it. And I, and I just gave them the deadline because earlier I gave them the deadline of four days because earlier that week, God told me that I procrastinate because I give myself too much time. And I was like, okay, so I'm like, we're going to do this in four days (laughs) and we're going to work through the weekend and we're going to do it. And everybody was on board. They were, they were all pumped up. They were excited. And, in four days, we created a platform that is a space to amplify the Black experience while also allowing everyone to come and better understand the Black experience while also understanding their own experience around racial inequity in our mm-hmm. country. So we utilized this ability. We actually partnered with um, Dr. Julia Garcia, who's a good friend of mine. She's a psychiatrist and understands social and emotional health. But what we realize is that nobody has a space to process their feelings right now unless they go to a therapist mm. or unless they are very, very um, enlightened to a point where they can process their own feelings themselves, which is very few and far between. And social media acts as this terrible echo chamber of, of opinion and I want to say division and you're either black or you're white or you're either liberal or you're conservative or you're pro-life or you know pro-choice or you're blank and blank right like there's there's only you're either good looking or you're ugly you're either a influencer or you're not like it's like that's what social media is and it's absolutely terrible for having a conversation mm-hmm. all the technology that we built over the years isn't about embracing conversation it's about sharing opinion and sharing mm-hmm. yourself right who are you this is who i am right it's all self-absorbed nonsense in my opinion right it has its uses for spreading information but it's definitely not useful for having these tough conversations and what we realized because there were both black and white people on that call and biracial and people of color that everybody needs to process it but they just don't know how so they stay silent they're afraid of saying the wrong thing and it's almost paralyzing and that's i feel like what the enemy has a hold on us right now is that there's so many people that want to help. They're, they're becoming, they're waking up, right? But then instantly, it's like the sower of the seeds, right? The seeds are landing mm-hmm. on the concrete, but instantly, you know, Satan gobbles it up with fear. Oh, if you say that, mm-hmm. then they're going to judge you. Oh, if you say that, then they're going to do. And the fact is, and the sad part is, is, is it's true. Yeah. You know, and it's like, how are we going to be a unified nation if we don't even attempt to understand each other's perspective and understand each other's stories? So as soon as somebody reaches out and says something, it's like, oh, that's not good enough, or it's a little too late, or it's this, or they're angry, or no, I don't agree with that. That's probably too harsh. It's like, you don't know. 
you don't know what somebody's going through. You don't know what's behind that text message. You don't know what's behind those words. And that's where I feel like us as a body of Christ, we need to show up the most. Unconditional love, unconditional um, grace. And if we can't do that, then there's no hope. Because mm-hmm. that's what we were raised to do. And that's where I get so, I think, passionate about this. And I'm, I'm kind of going on a tangent. We'll come back to Dose in a second. Because I found that through my story, I'm passionately interracial. Because I have a white mother. I have a white wife. And I even wrote in my email today that it's very hard for me to hate a race that I felt so much love from just from those two women. Mm-hmm. Right? There's more people that I felt love from. But just from those two women in my life, how could I ever hate at the same time, I am black in America, right? I do have a brother and I do have two sisters that did everything for me to help get me even to this point where I could be having a conversation with you in mm-hmm. downtown Seattle. And I do have a brother who went the opposite way and, and wound up in prison at 17. Mm-hmm. Right? So I have, I have all of these perspectives that I feel like God has given me so that I can be passionately interracial. Yeah. And I, the only way that we as a society or as a body of Christ can be passionately interracial is if we are passionately seeking out other people's experiences authentically and like literally being present to when we hear and listen and ask questions and constantly seeking out other people's experiences because otherwise you're not a complete body because you don't have a complete perspective. Mm-hmm. And that's where I I struggle. You talked about the platform versus the products for the second reformation of the church, which is like one of the best messages I've ever heard in my three years of walking. A product keeps us in an echo chamber of perspective, Mm -hmm. right? Most churches you go to, there's some very diverse churches, but most that you go to are not as diverse as they probably should be to be a representation of the body. Mm -hmm. So if if you're not in a diverse church that has multiple perspectives, from demographics to, to racial class to, to um, social class to whatever it is, then you're in an echo chamber and you need to get out. And that's where I struggle with the church being confined to the walls of a building or to a product. And that's why I love your idea of a platform because what that does is that allows us to get out and gain perspective. Because without perspective, then we're limited in our understanding. And if we're limited in our understanding, then we're limited in our ability to empathize and to love and to have a grace with others and ultimately unify and heal our nation. Amen. Yeah. You just put it so well. And uh, one of the, one of the ways that I have seen that you've now developed this platform dose is a great analogy for how, what honestly, what churches could become more like is that platform for those experiences to be born witness to within the body, Uh, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way, so that the whole body of Christ is built up. And most churches, like you said, are not a platform for that. Um, They end up amplifying the same voices, um, claiming that it's from scripture, but not even acknowledging that um, the spirit dwells in every member and that every member was meant to be exercising their gift to build up the whole body. It's just, I I see that those analogies and I, and I love that God is using you to create these examples for us to even learn from so that we can be reforming as a church to become more of what God's called us to be, to become mature. And thank you for sharing also, like God has prepared your life in so many unique ways that you have, you hold it together in your own existence, in your own body, that, you know, the, the cross sections of, of a biraciality and, and all of that in your family relations. It's amazing. Yeah. 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 
that's what I was talking about earlier, Chris, at the beginning of this was, it's that moment that it all comes together and it's, it's a journey and you never know when it's going to happen. But I felt like that was, that's what happened um, last Wednesday. And honestly, even, even this whole week has been a journey of me exploring that story, his Mm -hmm. story. I like to say is because I'm like, wow, if I wouldn't have taken the moment to feel right now, I might've missed everything that you just said, that the intersectionality of my life that Mm -hmm. allows me to be a vessel for change and potentially an example for that. It's not, it's not for me. It's not for my glory, right? It's for the glory of, of the kingdom It's for the glory of, of every person in this world and for God, you know, and, and, and I could have never written it that way. That's, Mm -hmm. that's the beauty of it. Intersectionality for the glory of God. (laughs) There you go. That's it. I was so weighed down also this week, even though mine's an Asian American experience. And I was also kind of convicted as, as these protests have kind of really caused some change. Frankly, that's a a change in the conversation and a change in like what people in power are choosing to do. And um, I know there's disagreements, but there's still a massive change that's happening. And I began to be convicted even myself with the work that we do, where we advocate for language diversity in churches and, and in society at large with our, platform spiffio and stuff where I just realized like, man, honestly, I believe in it in my head, but I lack conviction so much that God's really going to bring this transformation. I, I noticed myself even tempted in the midst of all this where I felt like, man, I don't know, this language diversity stuff, like it doesn't get any attention. doesn't even really matter. Nobody cares. We should just like go do something else or whatever, right? After COVID-19, that felt that way. And then with what's happening now, I felt that way. And I was just continually being convicted of, of Chris, this is what God called you to. Like, this is the time to lean into that. It's needed more than ever. Translation is actually a part of anti-racism because mm-hmm. it decenters the English language and shows that there are other perspectives in other languages that have value, that need to be shared, that need to be told. That's essential to, the, to the, our society and essential to the body of Christ. But it is so, it's so hard to live into that conviction and to continue to, to live authentically with what God called. And I don't think I ever noticed, and I don't want to attribute it to uh, any kind of particular like racist act, but I never really noticed how I think growing up as an Asian American in America, I would feel like my voice doesn't matter that much or my idea is not that strong or valid. Like if you took my idea and put it in the mouth of somebody else, it would probably get a lot more traction than when it came out of my my body, basically. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've felt that way before and I never articulated it until now. And I'm realizing that that desire even to with, kind of withdraw and just kind of let it go stems from that perspective that it's really not going to make a difference. Hmm. And I mean, in my Christian faith, I have conviction. God is the one that's really doing it. That's really going to bring about the change. But I see so in so much self doubt in me that I'm really the one to do it because it can't be me. It must be all these other more successful, powerful influencer people, right? Like God's going to use them, not me. So this is, this has been a, a journey for myself in the middle of all of this of like kind of working through it's like, Whoa, why, why do I have that perspective, that limiting belief and perspective? Where did it come from? And has it been ingrained in me and the way that I've grown up in the broader society and ways that I've been you know, blind to? And mm. yeah, so I'm, I'm working on my own journey too, but still walking by faith. God's provided in ways that we didn't expect. And I'm very grateful for that. And Chris, that, that goes back to our, one of our first conversations when we met well, like two years ago, even you wanted to st- do the pray for tech event. Mm-hmm. And you were like, I don't know if I need to do, I don't want to, I don't know if I'm the leader for it. And I, and all I did was say like, well, I think you are the leader. Like <laughs> uh, simple. <laughs> that was it. I was like, I think you are the leader. And sometimes that's all you have to hear. What I've realized in this time working with people in our identity is just a shift of perspective. You have been given a unique perspective 
which makes you the only one that can do it. Not, oh, my voice or the way I look or how tall I am or how loud my voice isn't deep enough. All of these other things, like, right, if you, you, and that's why I love, thank you for having me on this, on this podcast, because you talk, like, we could talk in specific language of, you know, the flesh, like, that's all the flesh, period. His story, right, his story is your testimony. And that's all God calls us to in the Bible is to, is to proclaim his testimony, our testimony. That's, that's how we, what we are supposed to do as we go out, as we, you know, share the message and share our testimony. So your testimony is the most unique thing about you, not the color of your eyes or your thumbprint or your social security number or the color of your skin or your nationality or the color of your hair. The most unique thing about you is your perspective and your testimony. So if we can just shift that understanding as believers is that we all have a unique perspective and that's all, that's what God, that's our gift Mm -hmm. that God has given us. No matter if we have a disability or if we are poor or if we're in prison, that's all part of the plan. Mm -hmm. And we need to understand that we're here for a reason. Every second of every day, we have a unique perspective that we're bringing to every interaction or every moment of being that we are on this planet because we're here for a reason, right? And if we believe that, then we have to live it, live life intentionally in that way and not be, not allow the enemy mm-hmm. to psych us out and say, we're not good enough. Or if somebody else said it, it would be more powerful. I did my first Instagram live this week ever because God's finally helping me realize this is the time for my story. Mm-hmm. And yeah, maybe I should have done it earlier. Or I could have been more practiced or whatever it is. Like, no, like this is the time. Every moment is perfect. I, I actually watched it and I was so uh, moved by it because you're so vulnerable, authentic, truthful. And like your story was so powerful. Thank you so much for building dose, for sharing your story on the podcast. Uh, we want to amplify your platform that you've built now to create that space that you're talking about because you're so right that like everybody needs that space to process what it means, uh, whatever color we are. I'm yeah. realizing that too. What you said is the problem is so acute that yeah, social media has been exhausting me with like, everybody telling you what you're supposed to do or not supposed to do and everything. I was like, ah. I feel worse when I get off of social media. That's not what it's supposed to be like. So what is this? What's the website then? So we can start promoting what you're doing giveadose.co. And this is just the beginning. We just launched um, on Wednesday, put out the MVP. And, and I just encourage every single person, no matter the color of your skin, no matter how you think or how you feel right now, I encourage you to go there and just not only watch and or read the experiences of others currently, um, but also go process the questions because that's another thing. The questions help you process. Mm-hmm. Whether you've experienced fearing for your life when you've been pulled over by a police officer or you haven't, it's just important to process what that looks like. And at the end of every one of those doses, you'll get an experience from somebody that did experience what you haven't. Mm-hmm. And I think through that, that's what we need to, we need to press into is that type of understanding um, as a society, as a nation, as, as a world. So giveadose.co. Great. Right. John, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the Theotech podcast, sharing from your heart. Uh, I'm really grateful to have you as a brother and uh, we're in support of of what God's calling you to do in, in this season. Hey, thanks for having me, Chris. It's my pleasure. 
Thanks for listening to the Theotech Podcast, and a special thank you to our patrons. If you'd like to be part of sharing stories of how God is using technology and entrepreneurship for the gospel, become a patron at patreon.com slash theotech.